just do it. Like whether whether or not you understand the reason, God has a reason. This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and with me today is Karen. Oh, hey. I wanted to say you first, Karen. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we've got Eric. Howdy. And we have Tracy. Good morning. So the sun is shining, you guys. The last couple of weeks, we've kind of talked about how it just seemed really dark when we were getting going, and we actually have some sunshine today. It's been kind of a weird weather week. The... Uh, I mean, earlier this week, it was downright cold in June. It was kind of odd and windy and gross. But we've got sunshine today, and hopefully that'll be uh, portentous of, of how uh, the weekend might go for us there. Portentous. Oh, big words. Too early. Too early. I went to college. Yeah, apparently. It didn't do me much good, but, you know, I have Called a vocabulary. No, it wasn't trade school. It was community college. I have an art degree. <laughs> and I'm an electrician now. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to all your children. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Spoken by an artist. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, in our last episode, we had been talking about the temple and all of the, the articles in the temple the way the temple was built. And we, I don't know, we talked maybe a little bit about some of the services, the sacrifices and such that were in there. And we had just sort of touched on the priesthood itself. Well, chapter 28 this week begins with telling us kind of about what the priests were going to wear in the temple. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to know, and it gives us a vision of what we would see there. Now I'm going to let my nerd fly here just a little bit. If you want to get a, pretty good picture of what they look like watch raiders of the lost ark unfortunately it's a bad guy at the end who's wearing all of the priestly stuff but you do really kind of get a, a an idea of what what those garments look like and what the ark looked like and all that stuff so i mean that that, that really was my exposure to this kind of thing the first thing i ever saw and incidentally the the anniversary of raiders of the lost ark was just a couple of days ago 39 years old can you believe that movie's that old but Hey, <laughs> are you still listening to me? Is anybody? They all, everybody, just shut off the podcast. So they get this, this is a math thing. thing. Like, people need to talking about. People need to understand this is this is a math thing. <laughs> there, there, there he goes. We're done. Click. <laughs> so let's talk about just a little bit because before we started rolling, we talked a little bit about specifically the stones that are on this and that their names, the names of the Israelite tribes were written on them twice, as I understand yes. it. Yes. Yeah, there were two stones that were worn, I believe, up by the shoulders. And I think this is what gets referred to later in the chapter as the Urim and the Thummim. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing those right, but I think so. And each one of those stones would have six names of, of the tribes on it. I tried to look those up like I was trying to figure out. I mean, first of all, I'd like a set because I could really use some help making major decisions. But I don't 
I couldn't find them on Amazon, so I don't think they make them anymore. But I looked them up to try to see, like, what was the history of these things? Because biblically, there's only a couple of references. And it's and it apparently it's one of those things where it was just local knowledge. The Hebrews knew what they were, and we don't. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not written here. I'm trying to remember where I read it. But basically, these were kind of like your uh, instant yes and no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So ho- hopefully we'll figure out, or maybe maybe Eric knows. I saw him getting ready to. No, I just no. I. That's the thing that I've understood too is that they were kind of um, a a, a uh, divination device. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, and how I knew that, I'm sure that shows somewhere else shows up somewhere else. But um, yeah. that's it. Um, and then they we've got the other 12 stones, which is a little, this is a thing that just shows up. It's a little bit tricky. I don't know if we had the list of the 12 tribes, and that's not super important to me. But it's interesting how the 12 tribes' names get kind of, there's a few that just kind of drift in and out. You know, Ephraim and Manasseh sometimes show up, and sometimes mm-hmm. Dan is left out. And so there's this drifting of this of the names themselves but we've got these stones and it's interesting because we have these we have 12 stones show up in revelation also as the foundation right of the new jerusalem but here they are shown up with the with the uh, names of the tribes written on the stones and one of the things that hit me this time i've read this many times before is that somehow they had a diamond big enough that they could write the name of one of the tribes on the diamond. And I'm like, okay, how big was that diamond? And how did they write on a diamond? I, mm, yeah, crazy, like, wow, maybe they wrote it below the diamond on that one. I don't know, but it's. Yours says diamond. Mine says crystal. Okay. Crystal. I can, that's a heck of a lot easier to, to go well, with. So, so I've got a, a side by side and my new King James says diamond and my NIV says crystal. Yeah. Uh-huh. ESV says diamond. But the yeah. thing is is that a lot of these biblical stones everywhere from the from the early Old Testament to the to the late New Testament p- translators are like we don't know what this stone is. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they, I mean there's a name for it but they're like we don't know what it is. Goes maybe back to your local knowledge thing. Did it specifically say engraved or did it say written? Oh, it could have been written. Let me see. No, it says engraved. Mine says okay. each engraved in yep. 22. Yeah, I had to double look. No, in 21. Uh, they shall be like signets, each engraved with its yeah. name for the 12 tribes. That's yeah. so, so I guess this this is a sneak ahead, and let's just go ahead and move ahead here. But let's before we move ahead uh, on the craftsmanship part, which we get into later, let's touch on the um, the significance of wearing the names over the heart. Matt, I know you wanted to touch back on that. Well, I just think that is interesting in itself that that was specifically where was that? I'm trying to remember where, where I re- read that specifically because I wrote a note about it and I'm trying to find my note on it right now. But how specifically this meant that those names were worn over the heart of the priest. It's in 29. Oh, there it is. Yep. There's my note right at the top of the page, Matt. So, yeah, I don't know. There just seemed to be a significance to that. The idea. I mean, of course. You know, the muscle that's inside of our chest doesn't really hold the significance of, of you know, hold, be, being able to actually hold emotion and, and whatnot. 
but there's still that symbolic idea of the heart being important for the things we care about. And when we think about, we're going to see imagery, you know, if and when we ever get down to Revelation. And I, you know, I, I hope we do get to Revelation someday. Yeah. Well, Unless, we're busy living it. Before, yeah. It, yeah, before it finishes Currently happening. in it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, you know, if, if, if Christ comes back first, I'm going to be okay with that too. But, you know, we get down to that. We're going to see imagery of Jesus as the high priest dressed like this. And so yes. that's what this whole priesthood is about is, and the entire temple service is about Jesus as high priest, as yeah. the one administering the sacrifice so all these rituals, they really mean something. It's not just this. It's just not not just an arbitrary uh, service that was put together. It's supposed to represent something. It's supposed to be teaching a lesson. And I think the lesson is probably more for us today than it was for them back then, because they obviously wouldn't have understood this idea of of Jesus as our high priest. So I just found that to be interesting and and maybe significant there. Yeah. So um, in 29, so 29 and 30 are interesting. So I'm, I'm actually going to read them here real quick. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Okay. So there's one reference to it. Now, where are you it reading says, that, Karen? Hmm? Where are you That's reading that? 29 and 30 I'm going to read. That okay. was 29. And then 30 is also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart wherever, whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, Eric, I was actually curious what the ESV says, if it's anything significantly different, because when I do my parallel, my version side by side, they are vastly different on these two verses. Uh, 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people on his heart before the Lord regularly. Okay. And for those who are listening, the reason Karen's asking is because the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, is largely considered to be one of the most literal, while still being readable, translations. And so it might and, not, yeah. And the, and the NIV is, is, let's see, so the ESV is, the, is known for being the most literal, and then the NIV is known for... They tried to capture like the meaning behind it, so not so less literal and more comprehensive understanding. So it's so I always find it very interesting to put those two next to each other. And I always thought of the NIV as yes, a little bit more of a thought translation than a literal translation, as well as making it flow a little bit better. Because when you're reading from the ESV, it, it's not the, the phrases don't necessarily flow together in English always super yeah. well. That's why we're looking. And just for our re just for our readers and listeners, please take note that we're not all using one particular translation, you know, as being the magical answer here. Um, there are, there are thousands and thousands of translators who have worked over hundreds of years 
to give us different dimensions on this. And um, if if we came up with a particular point of theology that could only withstand reading from one particular version, then that might be a time to be a little bit nervous about the conclusion you've come to based on <laughs> just that one tra one yeah. translation. Well, I, I hear the best translation is Klingon. <laughs> you know, I just look at it as we're trying to get the most information we can from, you know, all different resources. Yeah, exactly. And there's 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 value in that because as as time has gone by, it's it's a great study, and I would recommend people do this on their own is study how we got to the Bible and how different translations came up because um, you know there there have been a lot more original texts or as close to original as possible found in the last few hundred years than there were say 400 years ago and when even when they did let's say the authorized King James they weren't using every one of the manuscripts available at that time anyways and so you're going to have to pick, you know, because there is no, I mean, God didn't dictate this to the team at the NIV office. He didn't dictate it to the people at Crossway when they put together the ESV. He did not dictate it to King James, who, by the way, did not write the King James Bible. <laughs> and so that's just a, it, it, just a, a side note, but worth looking at. And that's why Karen's got a parallel Bible. And that's why we all pitch in. And say, hey, how does yours read? Okay, so, well, so twenty-nine no, to, to the priest thing. Karen's reading about this in twenty-nine, verse nine. This word shows up a lot in in the as they're building these ceremonies, traditions. Um, and the word is forever. This will be in in verse nine, and then the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus. You shall ordain Aaron and his sons, which ordination shows up right here. Uh, we will get if we get through 32, which I hope we do. Ordination shows up again, which is we need to be careful how we throw that word around. But <laughs> that's not the word that I'm interested in. It's the word forever, because we see a lot of these things showing up and it says forever, forever. And down in 28, perpetual do. And I am going to propose that as we read through this, we think about what the forever means, because forever seems to mean forever until it's done. Mm -hmm. Not forever as in it goes through all eternity in the same way that it was originated, because Nadab and Abihu are set up as priests, quote, forever. And by the time we get out of the desert here, we find out that Nadab and Abihu are not, in fact, serving as priests forever. They served until their time was up, and then they were done. So, ironically, there is an end to the forever thing. You know, I was wondering, too, when I was reading this, and about where they had come from and out of Egypt and how certain things had meanings. And so I thought, you know what, let me look at those stones to see exactly what they meant, to see if there was any significance. Because, you know, I think just like we've said so many times in the past that God is all about structure. So, you know, I looked up amethyst, which is, it was used, you know, holistically and medicinally as like anti-stress. I don't know how they used it. You know, topaz clarity, beryl was cleansing, onyx was emotions, jasper was sent to help with energies. 
you know, I'm wondering if that had to do something a little bit with, with like the tribes and their characteristics or, you know, that kind of principle there that, you know, with, I guess, maybe older medicine, that these were so- thought to have some kind of maybe some kind of properties. That would be interesting because where where was that where Jacob like talks to all of the boys and says, you are this and you will be that. And here's kind of like your th- thumbnail sketch of your future. You know what I mean? Yes, kind of yeah. So that would be interesting to take that and put it next to the stones and look, take a look at exactly what you're saying, Tracy. In fact, in all of my spare time this week around my finals, I might do that. Please do, because it's it's a it's a topic that I've heard thrown around. And one of the things that seems to make the most sense to me, and this is a, a theory, basically, and it's not even mine, is that each of the 12 tribes and the, and the fact that a couple of them seem to be rotating in and out of the 12 tribe <laughs> rotation um, are intended to, to describe the inclusiveness of God's people. You've got this really wide spectrum of mm-hmm. of character, of behavior, of performance, and and yet they're all included. And we have that all the way from the beginning. As soon as they're Israel, and then we hear God talk about spiritual Israel, and then we've got the tribe showing up again and again in in Revelation, which seemed to be at that time more uh, figurative than they are literal of existing pure tribes of Israel. Because, I mean, when we get to, let's just suppose the 144,000, we're talking about 144,000 in a tribe. So you got 12,000 per tribe, male, virgin, pure, um, from the tribe of Ishakar. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing. Like, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, like genetically. And so if these are to intended to say, to, to Tracy's point, kind of a, a comprehensive, hey, look, this includes you, this includes you, this includes you, seems to span God's design, as I see it, over the span of the Bible, better than just a literal, oh, who's your grandpa? Yeah. Like characteristics. That's my, Yes. And I wonder if I do find the time to do that around my finals. I wonder if I should take a look at the foundations of the holy city at the same time. Mm. Yes, because yeah. I don't think it's any accident that they're stones and they're named after the same the tribes. I mean, it's I don't know what that all means, but there it is. And it's again, is it is are those stones literal stones? I don't know. I'm sure the things that John was seeing at that point. And you've got to wonder about Moses seeing this stuff, too, because he's shown all this. I mean, how much is this just blowing his mind? And how much did God say, OK, I'm only going to give you what you can handle. Like, here's a picture of this robe. And here's what I want you to put on it. Um, yeah, but I think everything we've looked at so far, it's God has a purpose. Everything I agree. Has a purpose. You know, and I, and I think to what you're saying, um, Eric, is that, yeah, you know, even being shown this stuff, you know, how is Moses to know every single stone that, you know, is flashing before his eyes and, you know, being able to take that precise and accurate, you know, being able to transcribe that back and say, oh, yeah, I, I did see Topaz or I did see Jet. You know, I just think that that um, there was a meaning to them. And I think it does have to do something with the tribal characteristics and keeping it close to close to his heart. Because if you look at these stones, you know, I don't think they had all the technology to make them look like precious stones. I, think oh, they were I just, don't know. You know, <laughs> look at the stones. 
sure they might be, you know, been able to to wet polish them or something. But like um, the one that I looked up first was oh maybe like topaz and in its in its um, purest form, it's colorless. You know, but if you look you look it up now, you know, if it's polished and all these other like impurities are found, it could be blue, it could be pink, it, you know. So I yeah. don't know. Yep. Yep. Jasper's the same way. Sapphire. They all. A lot of these. They're a chemical composite that qualifies as, say, a sapphire, and it can actually show up in several different colors. Yeah. And yeah. Agate. I oh. mean, agate's listed there. Agate comes in all sorts of different colors. So right. even knowing what the stone is, like, what does that mean? You know, I'm visual, like I want to picture this thing and I can't picture it because so many of these stones, like I've tried to look them up and they, they come in shades of blue and shades of green and shades of purple. And here's a gray one and here's some yellow. So it's like, uh, oh, oh, okay. Pick your favorite. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and this well, is just, go. this is just my speculation with all these stones and stuff is that when God is giving a vision, there must be more than just seeing, there must be understanding yeah. involved yes. too. Well, and also yes. keep in mind that keep in mind that the Egyptians gave a lot of this stuff to the Israelites as they were headed out. So yeah. this is this this is this whole thing. Like God knew what He needed them to do, and God poked certain Egyptians, like, "Hey, take that rock and go give it to that person." And, mm -hmm. and so He had this thing lined out exactly how it was supposed to be. I hope someday I get to see the real thing, like. Yeah. Maybe like the heavenly version of it, but also just for my own curiosity, I'd like to see the earthly version of it. Like, I'm really curious about this stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that interaction with the Egyptians. And if you look at a lot of a lot of the tombs and stuff, theirs was more. Um, how do you say more visual, more artwork, more, you know, the hieroglyphs were, you know, you could see the the attention to detail within those. The stones were basically used for color. Yeah. You know, they weren't yeah. polished, you know, and they were fashioned in the shape, but that was never the focal point of the the stone. When you look at it, it was it was just there for the color portion of it. Interesting. So let's let's jump into we have we have uh, the ordination ceremony. And this is just a, a little personal thing that if people want to get super duper literal about before how we're going to ordain people today. You know, like it has to be, it has to be a certain way by the Bible. Um, it's like, okay, listen up. Okay. They're going to be either the children of of Aaron or they're going to be Levites. Let's just go with that right now. <laughs> and yes, it's only males who are ordained. And we're going to kill a bull and we're going to put blood on the tips of the right ears and the thumbs and on their toes. And if we're going to do this, let's not just go ahead and stop at one part. I mean, let's go for it. So we've Man. got a fairly elaborate ceremony that happens here, um, and readers can can read because we're not going to go through all this. But I mean, there's instructions as to where you put the kidneys in this ceremony and the fat, and it's very very specific about how this ordination happens. I thought it was re I was really curious about the, the 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 way it was so specific about you put the blood of the bull on the on the right earlobe and the right thumb and the right big toe. I was just like, what does that mean? So that one I actually went and looked up. What'd you find? And what I've got from ancient commentators says the fully consecrated must be pure in words, in action, and in life. Words are judged by hearing. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. 
The hand is the symbol of action and the foot of the pilgrimage of life. So that's that's what one first century Egyptian commentator named Philo said. And then there's um, there's a, a bit of a so 12th century. There's a rabbi who said that the ear symbolizes that one must attend to what has been commanded. So more of an obedience thing, like I hear, I do. And the thumb is the origin of all activity. Everything I read, people agreed on the big toe, like you can't walk a straight line without your big toe. And oh, and also the right side of the body is the seat of strength and what was it? Strength and anyway, it's judged as more powerful. Like for, I guess, for because for the average person, that's the dominant side, maybe. And so that's why they did the right side. It's because it was symbolic of the side that takes the lead. Mm. That's so, cool. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, well, and I think that it has, it has value because as we see going on here is that these people are to be intercessors mm-hmm. and spiritual leaders. And they are held to a higher standard. And this is a thing I think we have just, we've lost in today's society. We're like, if somebody attains, I mean, I don't know that it's ever been one. Let's just, let's, let's go back that way. But in God's world is that there is a different, there's a different level of accountability and what he expects. And we see Nahadab and Abihu show up again. We see what happens when that's ignored. But we've forgotten, I think today, God is serious about his expectations. Not that we perform and we earn our salvation from our behavior. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about that there are things that he says, look, you are called to a standard of behavior, and especially if you are going to be a religious leader. And it seems to be, and I see it in our culture today, that if you have attained a certain level as a spiritual leader or a political leader or you got enough money, you get a pass. You get to do whatever you want, and and that's okay. Our society has said that's okay. And God shows up here, and to your point, Karen, and it, it actually deepens the point. It's like, you guys were set aside, and you're supposed to basically live an exemplary life, and they don't. Yeah. And it's it's a big deal. And to, to that point, to that point, because I think it's super relevant, in 2943, so that we get this straight— God is talking to the people. They've gone through all through these ceremonies and they've purified the furniture. They've set aside the people, they've consecrated stuff, made atonement, all those things. And God is talking about the, the tent of meeting where he's going to meet with them. He says, there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. So it's not sanctified by the stuff they're doing. It is sanctified by God himself. And then he says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting. I will dwell among the people. And here's a phrase that shows up again. I am the Lord their God. And when he says, I am, remember we have Moses when he asked at the burning bush, who do I say is going to send me? He says, I am. And here he's saying, I am. And then when Jesus says, I am in the New Testament, that is why they absolutely lose it. They freak out when Jesus says, I am, because they know what that means. He's claiming, I mean, I've heard some comment, some people saying, oh God, Jesus never really claimed to be the son of God. It's like, oh no, you asked those Jews back in the day, they had no doubt what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Tried to stone him for it too, if I remember correctly, or throw him off a cliff or. Well, among all other things, <laughs> all, yeah, all the above. And so 
This is, and, and to my point here is that it is God who sanctifies this, ultimately. It is not the ritual itself. So that the ritual is to, it's a, a, what, a symbolism of the steps that humanity is taking to get into the right mind frame? What are you thinking there? Like, that's this is an elaborate ritual. And I know with the robes, it specifically said, you know, make these robes this way so that they will be clothed in dignity and, and honor or whatever it said. Like, there was kind of that description. But there's, but what's with all the symbolism then? I think it goes back just to being a god of order and structure and you do this according to, to the way that I've instructed you, and you have to take that out to the letter. you know. And if you don't, I think to what Eric was saying too, and you're put in that position to lead a nation you know, as the, as the um, oh, I, I lost kind of the words that I'm looking for, but as a spiritual leader there, that there are consequences. And when they didn't follow them, they, had, they met those consequences. And sometimes it was their life. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I sometimes I think we get wrapped up in the legalistic part, but sometimes I also feel that it's an instructional guide to say, I want you to do this, this, and this to show that your heart and your mind is in the right place. That yeah. you're willing to take my instructions to the letter like I've instructed you. I think there's a, a point to that. So some of these things, like some of the health laws and regulations have Benefit, physical benefit. And I think some of these things have symbolic meaning. I mean, Karen, you're pointing out the, the blood on the ear and thumb and toes. It totally makes sense. And if people understood that, it's like this isn't just a ritual. Like this actually means something. But then I think Tracy's point is equally valid. It's God is saying, and I, boy, I believe this is true today. He's saying, I'm asking you to do this. Are you going to do it or will you come up with an excuse to not do it? You know, each of us on the podcast here has kids, and I will not speak for anybody else. But I can think of times when I've asked my children to do things, and they will come up with reasons why they do not need to, or should not have to, or do not have to do it as I have asked to have it done. And at some point, it crosses a line between needing to get the thing done and becoming a, I won't do it because I don't want to do it. It's not about the thing anymore. You know, I also look at it too that. You know, we, there's that age-old saying that you, there's multiple, there's two ways to skin a cat. You know, and I think, too, sometimes if we look at the end thing and just say, oh, okay, we're going to do the job this way. But God says, I want you to do it this way. And I think as man, we also, and we've seen in past when, when man takes over and decides that they're going to sit in that pit place of God and kind of make their own decisions to help him out in a way. To get yeah. the job done, it never works out right. That's for sure. So that's why he's saying, you know what? Just follow the what, you know, the way and what I'm telling you to do. This also gives, you know, faith, trusting, you know, that kind of thing too. I think that plays into it. If we think of this as, like, I would say, like, compared to the Israelites, probably the area where modern day society, as the four of us know it, has made the most shall we say, scientific advances is probably like health and medicine. So if we can, so if, if from our modern point of view, we look at the health 
and medical rules that were given to the Israelites. And we think, oh, yeah, I get that. I, I get that. That makes sense to me now. Like they didn't understand it at the time. To them, it was just a blind command. Hey, do this. Don't do that. If the rash looks like this, handle it like that. You know what I mean? Like kind of some of those things that might have seemed arbitrary to them and they weren't given all the reasons. So nowadays we can look at those things and go, that makes a lot more sense. OK, so what that actually means is this. Don't eat bats, for example. Yeah, I, I think bats. I think bat soup is probably a, a really good example. Um, mm. But but if but if we can if we can take that leap of understanding and extrapolate that out to the stuff that we still don't understand and go, yes. okay, just do it. Like whether whether or not you understand the reason, God has a reason. Mm. Maybe His reason is to get you to obey. And maybe his reason is based on science that we don't have yet. And maybe his, his reason is based on love and how the heart works. But it doesn't matter. He's God. You're not. He said do it. And I just I just wonder if we could at some point make that leap. It's a big yeah. leap. It's yeah. a really uncomfortable yeah. big leap. Yeah. Yep. Well, 29, it ends uh, with talking about daily sacrifices of a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening, and each one then would be sacrificed sort of in a different way with different other articles. But the part about this that really stood out to me was in verse 43, God says, There I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I thought that was interesting. Right after he talks about these daily sacrifices they're going to be doing, he specifies here that it is not or at least the way I take this, is it's not their sacrifices that, it's not the sacrifices that sanctify the tabernacle, it's God's own glory that, that sanctifies that tabernacle. Mm -hmm. it's, God's, it's God's presence in that, ta in that place that makes it holy, that makes it important, that makes it special. The yes. fact that they do these other things is not what makes this place special. Yep. You know, I think with that being said, it's you know, we've always gone with the the order and, you know, specific way that he wants stuff. But then I think it's also he goes back and says, you know, don't get all too caught up in this. It's still me. Yep. Mm -hmm. The bottom exactly. line is it's me. Yep. 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 So, chap so chapter 30, it talks about things like the altar of incense. And then we're given specifically what they would be burning on there. I'm sure if somebody wanted to look into it, he could probably find out, you know, they would burn this concoction of... I can't even say the first word. Stacked, stacked or stacked? I don't know. Stacked. That's myrrh. <clears throat> yeah, stacked is myrrh. I thought that was okay. Well, that's, that's also that's that's used in that bronze, um, or for their anointing oil too. Yeah. Myrrh. But uh, the incense would be okay. So myrrh, onica, galbanum, and frankincense with a little bit of salt. Then you have that anointing oil also myrrh, cinnamon, cane, which I guess would be sugar. No, cane is no cane is calamus. Okay. There's a there's a plant called that gets referred to through the Bible as sweet cane. I know a lot about this part. Okay, so there's oh, cool. a plant that gets referred all the way through the New Testament as sweet cane. It's calamus, and it's a giant. It's like a six foot reed. Okay. Well, so it, it wasn't lost on me here though. Oh, that all gets mixed with olive oil, by the way. Mm -hmm. But um, it wasn't lost on me here that two of the items that were given to Jesus at his birth by the wise men show up in the temple services here where you have myrrh and frankincense. And then of course the, 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 the place is just, you know, covered in gold. Mm -hmm. so, yep. So yeah, I don't think that's accidental. 
Nope, I don't think so either. Um, there's talk about ransom money. Oh, the census task. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. interesting. So, yeah, so they would take a census, and then everybody would have to, or all the men anyway, would have to give a certain amount of money. I don't remember how much it was. I don't know. Half if a shekel. Half okay, a shekel. yeah, half a shekel. Now, <clears throat> this brought to mind something that we'll end up talking about later when David gets in serious trouble for taking yes. a census. Do you think yes. this is why? Because he takes a census of his own accord, and it, I never could understand why, but if everybody was then supposed to give money at this it, it, it seems like maybe that was why david got in trouble for that down down the line i don't know i think some of that go go to tracy i see tracy getting ready to say something oh <laughs> I, I like jump up um <laughs> you know i think it goes back to that once again saying that there's a time and a reason for everything and god wanted you know to see the numbers there right where we're at right now when david did it i think david was trying to show his military might Yes. The size of his nation where God was like, you know, once again, do not get caught up in the numbers. It's me. Okay. You're able to defeat all these enemies with, you know, X amount of troops, even a small number. Don't get that twisted. It's me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. And it was also interesting to me it said that the rich are not supposed to give any more and the poor are not supposed to give less. So everybody is considered equal in this census. Yeah. And this wasn't a super high tax. It was more no. of a symbolic thing. Now, if you collect mm -hmm. this over a couple million people, it's going to add up to the you know support of this sanctuary for sure. Mm -hmm. But yes, yeah, I did know that too. Yeah. That's what the money went for was for for uh, the tabernacle service and, and upkeep, I think. All right. I so want we've to got a – and, and Karen, help me out here. Yeah, I was looking up incense and and everything and where they were kind of used too in the burning of all these different materials, woods, you know, let's just for the lack of a better term, plants and, you know, this kind of stuff. But I was reading a part in there's it's called smudging and Native mm -hmm. Americans would do it, mm -hmm. but it's for it's for purification and cleansing. It is. And they said it's. They've done research on it, and it's super high in, in the 90% that it purifies things. Right. So I think when you go with this incense always burning in the in a sanctuary, it's for for cleansing purposes. And yeah, so <clears throat> the ones the the uh, substances, shall we say, that mm -hmm. go into the incense for the sanctuary, I don't believe that those were plants so much. I believe that was just incense. And I think that was for ambiance and for smell and for possibly purifying the air. But smudging, smudging is a little bit differently, is a little bit different because it's actually done with plants. Like it's actually, it's smoke. Right. And, and that's, that's a, that's kind of a different uh, sort of energetic process than incense, if that makes sense. No, you know, and then I, you know, I look at that and, and Regina was, is into the, like the, she's basically the one that told me this about the smudging and, mm -hmm. and then I went and read some, some of the articles, but it is, it's that, that thickness of like the smoke that's given mm -hmm. off by like the plants or the incense, because when you do it, if you think back of the, now I'm, I'm losing the two brothers from help me out here, Samuel's children, Eli's, Eli's boys. Eli's, yep. Yeah. That we're swinging the incense in there and it is, it's, it still like makes this kind of smoke it does. environment. 
so these these three things that go into the actual incense are all resins, right? So you could take these crystallized gum, essentially, and put them together and come up with... And so you could burn it in a smaller space and a smaller amount. It, it would be a cleaner burn, if that makes sense. You don't have to gather up a plant. It's a resin that you get from the tree or the plant. Mm. Mm. So it would be a different atmosphere than if you, say, took this calamus, this sweet cane that they're talking about, and, like, smudged the area with calamus. That would be diff a different process. Are you finding mm. your inner hippie there, Tracy? I'm telling you. I'm not even <laughs> commenting that. Now, okay, now, Minus so the when hair. You, when Minus you, the hair. You grow, when you grow your hair out. That's why I keep that in first. Minus. Once it's gone, there's really no coming back unless I purchase it. <laughs> well, it sounds like maybe it works better than Febreze, huh? <laughs> so you get this, this cool stuff. And this is this all is a great lead in to, I, I think anyways, to 31, where, I mean, for those of you listening who don't know, I mean, I, uh, as a career for a couple of decades, have been a photographer uh, and most more recently a videographer and um, I'm shifting gears again. But, you know, I, I saw myself as an artist making beautiful things and beauty is not always valued. And what I mean by that, like people don't want to pay you for it <laughs> to make it. And and there is there is, I think, in our country also a holdover of the Puritan idea that we shouldn't put effort into religious or spiritual things artistically, that that's going to somehow derail us. We're going to get caught up in the, um, in the art and the expense and the extravagance of, let's say, medieval Christianity, where it was all about how tall you could make the nave, you know, and how, how skinny you could make the spires and it was very expensive and very, you know, self-focused. And so, the reaction to that is, no, let's make this as plain as we can and let's not get fancy with anything. And there are a lot of Christian traditions who carry that forward in the way we dress and in the way we look at our churches. And I believe there's a balance to this, but we've been reading a whole lot about God saying, use gold, use precious stones, use these, you know, the colors are the most rare colors you could get purples and reds and blues yes. and why i mean if god's a god of just having everything plain and simple and stripped down then it doesn't make any sense having all of the the gold and all the cool things we've seen so far and here in 31 is one of my favorite parts is that god says in 31 1 uh 2 see i have called by name bezalel and later he says, I have pointed with him a Holiab. And I'm maybe killing both of those names. I don't know. But what I find is, and they says, I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge, and all craftsmanship. Is that here is God specifically gifting the talent of craftsmanship to these people and the people they train to do a good job. And the, the idea of God just being like, yeah, you know what? I've studied in the legal course that I'm taking right now. There's a certain level of execution where you can say, uh, you know what? We'll call the contract good because it's it's not really done and it's not awesome, but it's it's good enough, you know. And God is not doing that. 
He's saying, no, this is, I'm going to give you talent and skill to do this really well. And what I find really cool, and I think of Jesus talking about this, that God knows the numbers of hairs on your head, is that God calls these by name. Like the creator we read about in Genesis and the God who's talking to Job saying, you know, he's controlling the, the, he, he has under his control Leviathan and the thunderstorms and everything else. God knows these guys by name and he has a job for them. And I can't help but wonder if we've lost sight of that, that there is the God who knows Karen, Karen's name and has a job for Karen. That's and we'll, and we'll, but here's the cool part. But we'll give that ability, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship. He gives it. He's not like, okay, pony up. He says, I've got a job for you, and I will give you what you need to do the job I've asked you to do. Right. Kind of like that saying. I've seen a saying like, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. That just really stood out to me that it's, it's, I mean, their design, their, their purpose is to design, devise artistic designs. And so this idea that it's like, oh, you guys just throw it together. Don't, don't make it too nice, you know, or you'll, or you'll get the wrong idea, which is possible. I believe it is possible. But here we're seeing God saying, hey, I want you to do this for a cool thing. I think that maybe in different places in history, different things have slid up or down in what humanity needed to focus on as well. And I would say that coming out of Europe, when the people fleeing religious persecution came out of Europe, searching for a place to do it right, free, they, I would say that probably, like you were saying, the Puritan emphasis on, and that's where the Puritans came from. And they their sort of spiritual calling, I, the way I see it in the flow of history, was to step away from the power of the church and get back to the roots of the church, which were actually to worship and serve God. If, so yes. where they were coming from was power versus power, where, where, where literally the struggle between the, the power of the churches led to people shooting at each other on their way to church across a river on Sunday mornings. Like there are actually stories in history about that, about, about Presbyterians and Catholics. Everybody's going to church on Sunday morning across a river. They're glaring at each other across the river and the preachers for each congregation are carrying guns and they are shooting at each other on their way to church. These are literal stories from history. This is what the Puritans were fleeing from. So on the one hand, I get it. Like God is a God of such intense, lavish beauty that we can't even get our brains around it. And yet I also think that the Puritans had their own calling, like get away from that. That distracted you. And you started to think that that is what made you in charge. Get back to the roots of it. And like Tracy keeps saying today, it's, it's not about that. It's about God. Yes. And when, and when that gets lost, we swing the other way and then we find yeah. the Puritans persecuting the Catholics and the Puritans, you know, saying if you're not a Puritan, you don't yeah. get any rights. And so yeah. it it's one, you know, 31 rolls right into talking about keeping it centered on God, mm-hmm. the Sabbath. And so God does have a way of bringing us back to center, which is pretty cool because... He starts out, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to my people of Israel and say, above all, 
you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It goes back to what you're talking about, Tracy, is that they may have done all these cool things, but God says, hey, don't forget, it's not the things that do it, it's me. And the mm-hmm. Sabbath, it's interesting, it's, it's not performing the Sabbath that sanctifies them. It is to be a sign that God sanctifies them. And this is what Jesus struggled with so much in the New Testament, is that they had the impression that it was the Sabbath itself that did something magical for them, not that it was the God of the Sabbath that was doing these things. Right there in 17. Yep. He's reestablishing himself there as creator. Mm-hmm. 17. It's a sign. Yep. It's a sign. And this seems like, because mine reads, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. You were talking earlier about how forever is until something ends. He's not giving any indication that there's an end here. Because when would God cease to be our creator? Right. This is, this is exactly, this is a symbol of his creation, which predates all humankind, predates mm-hmm. sin. This is, a, this is a thing that stands outside of, it's included in the Ten Commandments, but it stands outside it in the sense that this predates any of their misbehavior, uh, which, speaking of misbehavior, we're coming right up on chapter 32, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is that this is a sign and reminder. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so we can, we can move on, but I think that's just a, a really cool thing. It is cool. Yeah. So chapter 32, I think this is where we thought we were going to spend all of our time talking today. <laughs> well, we can get into it, but it won't be yeah. all our time. No, but um, so, yeah, 32. Now, well, we, we, we determined um, an episode or two ago that we're only two or three months into their uh, coming out of Egypt and how they just keep. It's like even though they have all this stuff right in front of them, they keep forgetting what is going on. Yeah. And so, so Moses okay. has been. Go ahead, Karen. So, lifetime in slavery. Mm-hmm. Suddenly free. Yes. Dramatic acts of power. They and then when they stopped at Sinai, it was ninety days into their journey. Okay. And then Moses was up on the mountain for what 40, 40 days. Forty days. And it's during the forty days that Chapter Thirty Two happens. So they are basically 90 some odd or shall we say less than four months out of egypt Mm -hmm. so from our point of view it's like oh my gosh how could you get distracted so quickly and then from their point of view everything is upheaval and chaos and maybe we just need something familiar yeah i look at it this though too is while it was only four months into the process like we're talking about this trip was only supposed to take 11 days Mm-hmm. We're like three and a half months over the time we were, you know, we were anticipating being on this journey. You know, I think what they thought is it was going to be point A, point B, we're there, end of story. And they had to sit there and really, there were some lessons to be learned. So they're, you know, three and a half months over their projected timeline. 
Yeah, so they, they come right out and they say, they come to Aaron and they say, make us gods that shall go before us. And this seemed to me to be in direct contrast to the concept that they had literally been following God as a pillar of smoke and a pillar oh. of fire. They oh. had had a visual representation all this time. And now all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we need something different. Well, I think it goes to what Tracy is saying is that they, or maybe it was Karen, I don't remember, saying something, they want something familiar. And I think it's, this is, this is, I, I cannot uh, miss this. I don't want our readers to miss this either, is that they call it a feast to the Lord. They do burnt offerings, peace offerings. They have music, basically an agape meal. They have, they, they do all of these things. And yet it is, by the end of the chapter, we find out the exact opposite of what God wants. My point is this, is that calling it worship, calling it a feast to the Lord, doesn't make it so. And we have this problem going back to the very first murder. We have Cain and Abel. It, boom, it involves worship. It is that we have one saying, I'm going to worship this way. Doesn't, shouldn't matter. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And God says, no, you do it the way I say to do. And when we put our, I'm just going to do it my way. And hey, as long as I say it's for God, what's the big deal? Right? I mean, I can just, it goes to what Tracy was talking about too, is that God has outlined some ways. It's like, no, I'm telling you, this is the way I want you to do this. And when we pull it up and we say, no, I'm just going to just kind of sub my own way in here. And God, why don't you bless it? We ran into this with um, Jacob and Esau. God says, I'll take care of this. And Jacob basically says, hold my root beer. Watch this. I'll take care of it. And we have Abraham being promised um, a son. And it doesn't look like it's happening right away on the time schedule that, that they expected, which spoke to me when Tracy's saying, this is taking longer than expected. It's like, wow, our whole life does, right? And Abraham says, you know, I'm going to have to take this into my own hands. I'm done waiting. And here we have the children of Israel and Aaron saying, okay, we're done waiting. We're going to take this into our own hands. And here we are. Um, my daughter sent me a little thingy this week. It's a, it's a painting. And over the painting it says, you can still know peace without knowing what comes next. And that's, that's the thing, right? If you, if, if, if you and your humanity, if you can't see what comes next and that throws you into a state of, of panic and then panic-driven action, you are probably going to go the wrong direction. Yeah. Even yeah, you if your see. intentions are worship. Yeah. And, they're, and they did, to, not to, to put too fine a point on it, but when they went their own way and they, they did all of these things and called it worship to God, uh, later when... Um, when Joshua, this is in 17, when Joshua, Moses and Joshua are coming down the mountain and they're having this, quote, worship. Okay, that's there's gigantic air quotes on worship here, folks, <laughs> is that they're having worship around the calf in in 32, 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. Uh, and Moses corrects him and says, no, it's not the sound of uh, victory or defeat, but the sound of singing and dancing is that all the commentaries that I read about this is that this was probably a worship service that involved the gods of fertility, which was 
the calf was the one of the primary symbols of there was a there uh, there's a possibility that there were that there was an orgy going on so they took their idea of worship to a different place um and that's not stated explicitly but it could be might not be but it could be read between the lines that they were they were off the rails yeah and so when they were like you know we'll just take a little bit we'll just this calf isn't, and it's interesting, is that it was proposed that this wasn't a different god. See, they they set it up in such a way as to say, well, this isn't really a different god. This is just a visual representation of the same god. So we're not really worshiping a different god. And mm. yet by the time this was all over, yes, they were. Absolutely. They were yeah. totally off the rails. But that's not how they started it, and it's not how they justified their departing from what God had said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see a lot, not not exactly, but I can see some parallels to this today where a lot of people see Christians as being uh, much different than what we're supposed to be, you know, you know, standing up with signs and God hates this certain group of people or this or that or the other. And I always try to remind people, it's like, hmm, you know what, those people call themselves Christians, but they're not acting like Christians. You know, it's sort of the same thing here. These guys, they might say they're following God, but they are certainly not following God in this in this instance. Yeah, so saying you are and being that you are are two separate things. And Jesus addresses this in Matthew. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, mm-hmm. um, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> Aaron's excuse for why he does this is interesting. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, first of all, first of all, he's like, well, you know, they made me do it. But then he says, you know, I don't know. I told them to give me the gold out of their ears and I threw it in the fire and this calf came out. <laughs> I was I was reading this week and, you know, it, it said because I, I think I probably even said this before. Um, I don't understand how they did did this in light of seeing all the miracles and everything else and being delivered. I can't understand it. But I was reading in this book today that said, you know what? Don't be so quick to judge. Right. That, you know, you being put in that position, you may have done the same thing. And, you know, look at your life at this point. Are you making those kind of compromises as well? Right. You know, and I look at Aaron, and Aaron was there since almost the inception of the plan. Yeah. You know, Moses gave the excuse, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. You know, I, I don't have the words. I stutter, what have you. Well, you know what? I'm going to have Aaron meet you, meet you, at, you know, on the journey, and you're going to do it together. You know, that being said, Aaron threw down the rod. Aaron was there for, for this in yeah. 40 days. 40 days and peer pressure is what it took. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, um, <clears throat> there's a quote that I like. Well, I shouldn't say I like it. It, it, is, it is deeply impacting. It's, it's attributed to Gandhi. And it's something along the lines of, um, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Yeah. So it's like an external observation of what he sees of, of what he saw of Christianity at the time he was observing it. And I've always, 
I've always just been so deeply impacted by that because because of those texts in the New Testament that says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. You have love for one another, right? Mm-hmm. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? There's there's this sort of simple cause and effect. If you love me, you'll act like this. If you love me, you'll do that. And, th- and that seems so simple. And it's a lot more simple if I apply it to you three <clears throat> than if I, than if I apply you. it to myself. Because in my own head, no, I've got reasons for what I do. They make sense to me. If anybody else was walking in my shoes, boy, they sure would see it this way. And since it makes sense, it's justified, right? So, yes, it would be very nice to sit in judgment of these dumb yahoos that couldn't make it 40 days. They're so intimidated by the lightning and the thunder. And then it just goes on and on. And, oh, our leader's not coming back. What do we do? We need something else to worship. Yeah, it's always it's always easy to look at other people and go, I would never do that. But if you stop, really think about it, I think a lot of us have to admit, you know what, there's a good chance I might. You don't want to admit it, but there's a possibility. Yeah, there's, yes, we have to see ourselves in this uh, for sure. I think as groups and as individuals. Yes, and I think it's at the times where there's the most strife, pressure, upheaval in the world, that this is more evident. And I think it's, we're looking at it right now in today's Mm -hmm. society. And, you know, and I can't say that I haven't fallen victim to being a, you know, and maybe it's not the most politically correct word, but a slave to emotion at this, at this point in, in earth's history. And, you know, and sometimes it doesn't bring the best out of you. And I think that's when it's yeah. hard for that, the demonstration of that love one for another is that sometimes I think it's, you know, just like what it said, I can't think of the, the, um, the passage right now, but sometimes it's, you need to be, you need to be slow to anger and maybe a little bit, you know, more, conscience and being able to take some time and really process the information that's going on around you. So you don't blurt something out that you're going to regret in the end. I've heard it it said that we were given two ears and one mouth because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. (laughs) I think that goes to the, to a lot of the things that we've studied here is that it goes back to when we look at these things, Tracy's addressed the idea of, letting our emotions because we all have them be the driver for us. It points out super quickly. We cannot handle that. I'm not going to judge anybody else, any of you, but I know I can't. And that's Mm -hmm. where it goes back to a supernatural thing. We, I have to turn this over to God because although love is, is a simple concept, it is way harder to actually do. And I believe it requires God in me because it's easier to wear the right robe with the right design and sacrifice the right part of the cow and you know do the this that and the other I like the New Testament Pharisees it's easier to do that than it is to really love somebody who is let's say challenging to love that's hard you know I can wear the right stuff but um, when it comes to living living those ideals it requires it requires a supernatural um 
thing going through me because, yeah, I mean, we're all quick on the trigger. Well, yep. Whatever it is, we're we're going to I mean, whether it's Abraham or or Cain or and, uh, uh, Jacob, you know, like I'm going to or or, you know, Joseph's brothers or any of these people we're coming up with. We're, we're looking at them. We see a pattern here. They're all doing the same thing. And so do we. And children of Israel did it. They're not excused. We have some interesting things that happen as a result of this. Instead of Moses just going, ah, you know what? I totally get it. Everybody just everybody has their moments, and so we're just going to wink at this. It's not what happens. No. In verse twenty, I think this is fascinating. I wrote a note to myself. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire. So it was probably wood, a wooden calf overlaid with gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so he burns it with fire. He grinds it to powder and scatters it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Okay, so. Just think about the logistics of this. They're going to drink their God they were just so recently worshiping. And given anywhere between three and 24 hours, where does their God go? (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, that would be pretty. Oh, that would be a disheartening. Yeah, that is like the ultimate diss right there is like, and this is where your God is going. Hmm. Um, and then, and then we have another ordination in 29 and Moses said today, you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Again, I'm wondering why we're not taking this literally if we're, you know, my, my point in saying this is I think we need to be careful about what we just jump into and say, we're going to take super literal here, Tracy. Oh, I know. I, I had to throw up my hand because I've mentioned this before, but I think this was once again, um, and I just lost my word that I was going to use and it was. Um, was the good was a good word, Tracy? <laughs> huh? Was it a good word? It was. It was, and it was. <laughs> but it's where Lee, they restore themselves. It's a story of restoration. Right here in the midst of trouble is with Levi. Yes. Or, you know the sons of Levi is because Levi and Simeon were not given a blessing because of what they had done for their sister. Mm. And oh. this is when. The restoration comes when... Oh, redeeming, do you think? Redeeming yourself? Is that what you meant? Yes. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, it, it's that restorative property, too, that, you know what, they were they were on the outside, maybe. And at this point, they stand up and say, you know what, we're not going to do that. And this is when they're given the priesthood, is because they basically stood up and said, no, 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 you guys can go ahead and do that, but we're not going to partake in that. We're going to be something separate and something different. And this is, I think, the, a part of that finding the Lord again. As we're, as we're talking about this, mm. there's this one of the most, to me, realistic texts in the Bible. It's way up in the New Testament. We'll get there. But where this, this guy approaches Jesus and says, will you do this for me? And Jesus says, well, I can if you believe. Do you believe? And he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Right? And that's what I'm hearing here is like, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do prioritize. Help my lack of prioritization. I do worship. Help my lack of worship, right? Like that's kind of what I'm hearing here. So we see ultimately, again, we see them taking action. Moses takes action. And then is more grace. More redemption is grace. And God is at the center of it. And I think it's fascinating that as God is talking to Moses here, God says to Moses, he said, your people have done this. And like, okay, so... um, 
<laughs> we we've probably had these conversations with our spouses and we have to be careful about it. We're like, what did your child just do? And the, our spouse is usually quick to come back. No, 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 no. What did your child do? And we have God and Moses having this. It's it's kind of funny to me a little bit. And this is seven through 14 actually kind of goes back to the, to the beginning is that um, it's in 32, seven to 14 is that God calls them your people to Moses and Moses says, no, 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 they're your people. <laughs> and in the, in the end in 32, Moses is put in the position of an intercessor. He yes. requests that they not be blotted out of the book and God accepts his intercession here for the people because we're talking about the whole nation of people, not just the, the ones who were pulling off the antics, you know, around the golden calf is that this is a very serious thing. And God, now I, I think that he, he wanted to relent and I believe that God wanted to forgive and restore, but there's a role that Moses plays in here so that I think Moses sees it and so that we see it is that there's an intercessor here that you we just would have to be blind not to see Jesus as the intercessor, the entire book of Hebrews, interceding for us constantly. As as, um, as Tracy's mentioned before, Ivor Myers, he, when he is a speaker, he can bring everything back to the tabernacle and the temple and Jesus interceding for us. It, I mean, his current role right now in, in, in time. Not that that's the only thing he ever did, but but that that is his role right now in time, and that's what he's doing, and it matters. Like it matters that Moses said, "No, I want to intercede for these people." It matters the Book of Hebrews where Jesus is. It matters Revelation before before Jesus throws down the censer, because what is where does the censer show up? Right here. It's it's all of those. It's all of those um, spices and um, all that other stuff we've been talking about. That is to be interceding. These are intercessory devices between us and God. And that Jesus takes on that role right now in heaven. And when he puts that down, it's the end. That is the end of all things. When he is done being the intercessor, that's when it goes down final chapter so this is not to be missed right <clears throat> another aspect that i think is important is moses does step up and he is willing to be the intercessor and he is willing to play that role and he says if you're gonna if you're gonna blot them out of the book you know blot me out instead right yeah. Yeah. and god says to him he doesn't say to him no moses i'm rejecting your offer he says whoever has sinned against me i will blot out of my book and so the entire sacrificial system is based on this intercession. And yet at the end of it all, it's our personal, it's our personal acceptance and stepping into that. None of us are going to get punished for what somebody else did. It's up to us. Like it comes down to like one-on-one. -on -one. And yep. Jesus make you know, Jesus makes that available. The sacrificial system was a symbol of making that available all of it hinges around, you know, Jesus, the, the, the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And yet when it comes right down to it, it's whoever has sinned against me is who will be blotted out of the book. You know, and I look at that too, and I think that's, that's the characteristics he almost 
that he wants us to have is what Moses demonstrated that yeah. I am yeah. willing to lay down my life for my brothers. Yes. And God is like, and I feel like it's, it's cold to say this, but it's almost like God knew it and said, noted. Thank you. But I'm going to do it. Yep. Totally. Good stuff. Yeah. We have to, all this, all this stuff, this is, this isn't going to be important just right now in the Bible. We're going to come back to all this stuff eventually. We're going to see all these things repeated over and over and over again. And we're going to see that significance. Uh, any other final thoughts? Or is... I just encourage our readers to, to read this and, and to think about this instead of just a, an ancient story as to what this means as a thread through the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we will pick this up next week with chapter 33. We'll see how far we go. There's a lot of interesting things that are going to be coming up there. Keep in mind that you can contact us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can search for us on Facebook at Adventure Through the Bible. Be sure that you share the podcast with your friends and your family. That is the number one way you can help us is by helping, just getting more people to, to listen to this because that's... That's what we want more than anything, is for people to be able to listen, hear, see that the Bible makes sense, it's relevant for today, and be sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you get this in your feed each and every week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.